All right, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. Let's jump right in. If you have your Bibles, John 13 is where we're headed. And if you don't have a Bible, we have a bunch of them in the back and you'd like to read along with us, go ahead and raise your hand because we've got some people passing those out. They'd be happy to give one of those to you. And if you don't have a Bible at all, uh, please take that Bible with you. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to be able to take that home and read it on your own. Um, So if you need a Bible, go ahead and grab one of those. But we're going to be in John 13 together and... Before I do anything else, I want to open us up in prayer this morning, so I'd invite you to join me. Lord, as we've already sung, and as Justin just said, um, you are the head of this church and the church around the world. You, Jesus Christ, are the image of the invisible God. You are the firstborn of all creation. By you, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, Lord Jesus, were created by you and for you. You are the head of the church, of the body, the church. You are the beginning You're the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, you, Lord Jesus, might be preeminent. And so, Lord, you see everything going on. You see the struggles that we face corporately and then individually in our lives. But my prayer this morning is that you would, in fact, be preeminent in our midst. Your name would be lifted above everything. And that our attention would be focused in on you as our Lord. And so in light of that, would you speak to us? Would your spirit now fall on us and bring to life these, these truths, these, these ancient truths that your church has followed for thousands of years? Would you now bring them to life inside of each one of us this morning? I pray for those in our midst who don't know you at all. Maybe they think they do or they're quite aware that they're far from God and want nothing to do with him. I pray that this morning that the love of Jesus that surpasses our knowledge would become clear to those of us in our midst in that place. And for all of us, I pray, Lord, that you would speak and um, that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. As we move past this current snowstorm that we just went through, I was reminded of another snowstorm that we had a couple years ago. It wasn't quite as significant, um, maybe 10 inches or so. But the reason that I remember that snowstorm is what we did on that particular night. Uh, Because a couple weeks earlier on that night, we decided that we were going to go to a friend of ours house who was in this church community. And our friend was battling a very severe form of leukemia. And on that next day after the storm, I believe he was going to be headed in for a very significant bone marrow transplant. And if you know anything about medicine, you know that that's a very serious procedure. And so uh, we wanted to go over there. It was snowing. And as you experienced over the past two weeks, if you drive through the snow in northern Virginia, you're taking your life into your own hands. Uh, But we said, hey, we're going to do it anyway. And so we got in our cars. We didn't get in our cars alone. We brought with us some uh, electric hair clippers and some Bic razors. And we went over to our friend's house and we turned his living room into a makeshift barber shop. And, and all of us, it was maybe like 10 or 15 of us dudes in the church came together. And that night we shaved off all of our hair, bicked it. We were completely bald. Um, and, and as I think back on that night, there's, there's a couple things that, that stand out to me um, as, as we gathered together. Uh, the first is this. Some of you dudes have some weird looking heads and you need to go ahead and let it grow. 
God gave you hair for a reason. We don't need to do that again. Let the hair grow. Um, but, but the much more serious thing that stood out to me from that night was the reality that, that the Lord Jesus was at work in our midst as he was teaching us what it means to love one another. And um, more than just uh, expressing uh, sympathy at that moment, um, more than just not wanting our friend to be the only bald person at church, we did this in a small way of, of sharing how much we loved our brother and that we stood with him as he fought this really significant battle. This was a member of our community that was suffering in a significant way. Um, And and we were going to be sure that he wasn't going to walk through this alone and that he was going to be cared for. And so we drove through the snow. We we stayed out late, even though we had to get up early the next day. We exposed our ugly heads to the January elements, all for a guy who some of us honestly didn't even know all too well. And more than showing sympathy, more than just trying to encourage him, what was on display at that moment was a small picture of Christian love, of Christian love. And one of the most beautiful things about being a part of Sojourn, and I think many of us would agree, has been our love that's demonstrated so frequently for one another. Because this is just one example of among countless others in the way that the love that Jesus has demonstrated for us in taking our place on the cross has then been replicated in the way that we then regard one another. When the people of this church are struggling... When the people of this church are having a hard time, when they're in a dark place, the love of Christ has been on display in our midst in 10,000 different ways. And I say that not so much to pat us on the back or even to talk about how awesome our leaders have done in leading us in that. I say that to give glory to Jesus because what he's done is he's taken a group of Northern Virginians like you and me who are most of the time self-centered, focused on our career, focused on our retirement account, focused on our social status and, and a lot of other things. He's taken a people like that. And in sending Jesus to die on our behalf, he's demonstrated for us a love unlike anything we've ever seen. And in turn, we've watched that love be replicated to our family together as a church. And so I I praise God for that. And I bring all this up because here's the deal. Like Justin said, our church is certainly going through some difficult times right now. We're going through transition. We've got disagreements. We've got some junk we need to work through. Honestly, like every other single church on this planet does. But as I, I want us to make it unequivocally clear as I prayed this morning that, that we still have a Lord who's running things around here. And this Lord has a commandment for us to consider this morning. And, and our Lord's commandment is quite simple, to, to love one another, to continue to love one another. And my prayer for us this morning is that in looking at the love that has been set before us in Christ, that we would continue to replicate that love for one another now more than ever. And the reason that this is my urgent prayer for us is because as we walk through disagreement and conflict, there's a long list of other characteristics that would much more eagerly and swiftly manifest themselves in our midst besides that one. As we work through hard times, as we, as we struggle together, we are much more prone to, to display anger, disunity, pride, dismissiveness to those with whom we disagree. There's a long list of attributes that we possess that would more quickly uh, manifest themselves on the list of things that, that we do before we would hit love. And so 
we would not naturally exercise that. And if left to ourselves, those are the things that would manifest themselves. But friends, we haven't been left to ourselves. Jesus is still Lord of this church, and he does have a commandment for us. And so open up your Bibles. John 13, verses 34 and 35 is all we're going to look at this morning. John 13, 34 and 35. He says, Jesus says, A new commandment. I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the word of God to us this morning. And just before this, Jesus has headed into Jerusalem. He has, uh, just before this in John 13, John records that Jesus uh, stooped low and washed all of his disciples' feet, um, demonstrating his, his servant heart and his love for them. After that, he, he shared the Last Supper with them. And then towards the end of the Last Supper, Judas has now left and he's gone to the Jewish authorities to turn Jesus over to them. And so Jesus knows that he's hours away from his impending death. He's in the last moments of his life. And these are the words, this is the commandment that he lays on his closest followers. And as we look at this commandment together this morning, I want to ask a few questions of it to guide our time. The first thing I want to ask with it is, what is it specifically that Jesus is asking us to do? What does he actually want us to do? The second thing I want to ask is, how has he asked us to do it? And then lastly, I want to ask, what's at stake? What's on the line in us following this commandment? What does he want us to do? How has he asked us to do it? And what's on the line? What's at stake in in us keeping this commandment. And so let's consider that first question together. What does he want us to do? In this passage, he's commanding us quite clearly to love one another. And we should first probably note that this is a very severe thing that he's calling us to do because it's a command. It's not a suggestion. Do you know the difference between those two things? A, A suggestion is something that you receive from a consultant, maybe a coach, Maybe some sort of guru. A command is something that you receive from a supreme authority, a a lord, a master. A suggestion is helpful information that you may choose to listen to, you may not. You are the final arbitrator on whether or not you pick up and take a suggestion. A command is a direct order from a supreme authority. And whether you feel like obeying it or not really isn't of any consequence. A command is a decree from the Lord of our lives, and we're obliged to obey it regardless of how we feel about it. So in my own house, we're learning the difference between suggestions and commands. As my two-year-old daughter, Emily, is learning to put her shoes on and she puts her shoe on the wrong foot, I might suggest to her, Emily, you'll walk more expediently if you put the shoe on the right foot. That's a suggestion. You don't, you don't have to if you don't want to, but, but that's a suggestion coming from me. Um, but back when we were in the, in the snow day, I think it was Saturday, there's a stomach bug been going around. I don't know if any of you have got it. Uh, it's been miserable. My son, Caleb caught it. And when he gets sick, he just gets completely wiped out. And so he was lying on the couch, deathly ill, Ill, feeling absolutely miserable. And my two-year-old daughter, Emily was bored. And so for entertainment, she just walks up to him as he's lying deathly ill on the couch and just starts smacking him. (laughs) 
And what Emily receives from me as her father at that moment is not a suggestion. What she receives from me is a rather clear command. Emily, stop hitting your brother. That's non-negotiable. That's a command that you're receiving from me. And and so as we look at this passage, what we have here is a non-negotiable, authoritative mandate from Jesus to do what? To love one another. To love one another. And I suppose it might then serve us to ask, what does Jesus have in mind when he says love one another? When he says one another, who's in view at that moment? Is this a general vague command to humankind that we should love everyone and be kind to everyone? Is this maybe on par to like an elementary school teacher talking to her students, just giving sort of vague moral uh, counsel? We need to love everyone and be kind to all. Well, There's clear commands in the Bible that Christians are to love everyone everywhere, regardless of what they've done, what their past looks like. But but what's in focus here is the disciples. What's in focus here as Jesus is talking with them is the church. And so undoubtedly there's a call on us to love everyone, but the focus in this conversation is on the people of God. And so he has his 11 disciples with him for the Last Supper. And in his last hours, he's, he's focusing on the disciples' relationship with one another. Again, not saying that we're not supposed to love everyone, but the focus is on the disciples, those who have followed Jesus over the last three years. To which you and I might say, easy enough. Jesus is calling this band of brothers who would naturally look to each other's interests anyway to make sure that they continue to love one another. What you have here is a group of friends under the authority of Jesus who don't deal with much conflict and would find a commandment to love one another rather simple. To which I might suggest to you is completely detached from the reality of who these men were and how they often felt about each other. Like if you think the call for these guys, this group of men to love one each other, love one another was fairly basic. Let me just ask you to consider this. Among the 12 disciples was a man named Simon the Zealot. And when it describes him as a zealot, it's not saying, uh, it's not an adjective describing his excitement or enthusiastic personality. Uh, keep in mind that as, at this time, in, in Jesus' day, Israel is under Roman oppression. And the people of Israel absolutely hate it. There's unfair taxation. There's uh, intrusion into their lives and customs. Um, It's ultimately an insult on their national identity as God's distinct people, as they're uh, invaded by and under the influence of Roman authority. And so within Israel, you had a class of people who rose up and were, were called zealots, who were both religiously and politically motivated to take up arms and fight against the Roman oppression. This is perhaps somewhat comparable to the free Syrian army who is taken up and are now risking their lives, laying their lives down to fight against Assad. That's, the, that's, that's what a zealot was like. A zealot in Jesus' time hates Roman oppression and is willing to pick up his weapons and go fight to stop it. So that's one person who's amongst these, 12 guys, these 11 guys who are gathered. There's another guy named Matthew. And do you guys remember what Matthew's occupation was before he started following Jesus? He was a tax collector. And a tax collector in Jesus' day wasn't like saying that he worked for H&R Block or that he was a customer service representative for TurboTax. A tax collector, unlike the zealots, wasn't someone who opposed Roman oppression, but actually used Roman oppression to get rich for themselves. A tax collector in Jesus' day uh, did that. The, the, The Jewish tax collectors would get in good with the Roman authorities in a particular area. 
And they would volunteer themselves to go out and secure the unpaid tax debts of their fellow countrymen. And so instead of opposing Roman oppression like the zealots, they would actually join in on it and benefit from it personally. The people of their own society who were suffering, they would, they would step in on that and, and oppress them as well. And so Jesus has taken these two people, he's put them in a group together, and he's asked them to love one another. Like ideologically, that might be like putting Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump in the same community group and saying, don't just tolerate one another, love one another. Regardless of how your, your belief about the world works or anything like that, that's, that's what this is like here. Not only that, but do you, do you remember the disciples on the way to Jerusalem, the conversation that James and John sent their mother to have on their behalf with Jesus? Jesus was going in and they thought he was going to ascend as the king. And they send, James and John send their mother in to ask if they can have the right hand place next to Jesus when he enters into his kingdom. And the response of the other disciples that they would do this was what? It doesn't just say that they were angry. It says that they were indignant at these two men for what they did. And so the thought, both ideologically and then just generally how they felt about each other, that it would be an easy thing for them to love one another is detached from who these men were. They both have social and interpersonal issues with each other. But the point of me bringing this up is that the command to love one another is not optional, but neither are the people that we apply it to. This is a call to love in a very unique way. Those who have put their faith in Jesus and joined themselves to his church, regardless of how these disciples felt about it and regardless of how they regarded one another. And so as we flip the focus here to us in Sojourn Church of Fairfax, we are commanded to love the people in this room, regardless of how we feel about them, what common interests we share, if they're in our age demographic or not. If you are in some sort of conflict with them, we don't get to choose any of those things to apply who, to whom we'll love. We're being commanded to love the people that Jesus has gathered into this body, whoever they may be the people sitting in the chairs around you. This is who Jesus has in mind when he calls on us to love one another. And let me just say as a side note um, that this is one of the reasons why church membership is so important. Because honestly, it would be way easier to just go through your life as a Christian detached from a local church and then you just pick who you run with and then you don't have to deal with any of these interpersonal issues. But it's in the context of a local church where we're actually given an opportunity to apply this otherworldly love that Jesus is calling us to. And so if you are detached from a local church and not committed to one, I want to encourage you to consider this and what it might mean for you to join one and to love people who are naturally very different from you. This is what Jesus is asking us to do. He's asking us to love one another. And so we should ask next, with what, in what way or, or how are we to love one another? With what sort of love should we love one another? And he gives us the answer to that question in verse 34, if you look down there. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus is sharpening the focus on what he actually means when he says, love one another. And I think we need to hear this because by and large, when you and I say the word love and when Jesus says the word love, we're not even talking about the same thing. It's a, it's a same word, totally different concept. 
Like, do you ever think about how wide a range of use our word love has? What have you applied the word love to in the last week even? We love Chipotle. We love snow days, unless you're a parent, snow days are terrible. Um, We love craft beer. We love the beach. But somehow we also love our parents. We love our kids. We love our spouse. And ultimately, we love God. So we throw this word love around on, on everything. And do you know what I think we often actually mean when we say the word love? I think what we actually are saying is, you're useful to me. You benefit me somehow. You bring something to me that I wouldn't otherwise have. So when we say we love Chipotle, we mean that their burritos provide us with a euphoric and stomach satisfying experience. And and it's, it's useful to us in that way. And so we love it. Or when we say we love snow days, it's because school or work gets canceled and that's of benefit to us. Even in our relationships, it could be friends, it could be boyfriends or girlfriends, it could even be spouses. When we say that we love them, what we're actually saying is that they bring something to us that we wouldn't otherwise have. Emotional security, companionship, sex, whatever it is. There's a sense in which when we say that we love them, we're saying, you're useful to me. This is often what we meant when what we mean when we say the word love. It's it's advantageous, it's useful. But if this is our definition of love, what do we do with something or someone when it stops being useful? We throw it out. It was once useful to us, but if it becomes a detriment, if we operate under this definition of love, we just outright walk away from it. People or things, whatever it happens to be. If we're talking about this utilitarian form of love, when people, uh, the people that we love begin to cost us or hurt us or their usefulness has expired, along with it goes our love for them. And so if we apply this type of love to our churches when we're hurt or when our congregation is no longer useful to us, we move on to something else. Or if we apply this type of love to our marriages when our spouse spouse wrongs us enough times or shows themselves to be different than the person we thought we married on our wedding day. If this is the type of love we operate under, we're tempted to just walk away. Because usefulness is what we often mean when we say the word love. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's stepping in and he's confronting that and he's providing a totally new definition in what he means when he says the word love. Did you notice that he said that he's giving his disciples a new commandment? The disciples have already heard a command to love one another. They grew up in Torah school and Leviticus 19, 18 says this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They've heard that commandment their whole lives. They've been told to love one another already. And the standard that they use to love one another, the way they measure it is the way that they would love themselves. So here Jesus is stepping in with a new standard, a new definition, and Jesus is commanding, you have heard others love one another as you would love yourself. Now I want you to love like me. I want you to love others at great cost to yourself. Jesus takes our standard of love, the one that's ultimately centered on ourselves and takes it to a totally new level where we once said, I love you because you benefit me. We now say, in my love, I'm so committed to you that I will pursue your good even at tremendous cost to myself. 
He replaces and takes our old love that was based on this personal cost-benefit analysis. And he, he replaces it with a love that says, I will put your interests above my own, even at great cost to myself, not because you do something for me, but simply because I love you. And friends, this is the heart of Jesus Christ. He not only calls us to do this, but he is the prototype and the example of what it means to love this way. He says, just as I have loved you, so you should love one another. So would you consider with me for just a moment what it means when Jesus says, just as I have loved you. May I remind us this morning how costly how much sacrifice all that Jesus put on the line in his love for us. First of all, we operate in a relationship with Jesus that cost him everything and us nothing. In his love for us, it cost him his exalted status as the eternal son of God. He set aside that status, praise and power to be born of human flesh. And in his condescension to humanity, he took on the lowest possible social and economic status. He was born in a barn, surrounded by animals, and his first crib was the instrument they used to feed livestock. It was a manger. And he lived his early days as a refugee, fleeing the wrath of the dictator Herod on the back of a donkey. And even when he settled back in Israel, he was among the poorest of the Israelite community. As an adult, he was homeless and he was hated by many. Every right, every privilege, every advantage that was owed to the eternal son of God that was due to him, he relinquished out of love for his people. And we're just talking about his life, just his first 30 years. We haven't even touched on what his death cost him. Consider how costly his death was. He was tried under false charges, humiliated as a criminal, and mocked by all who were worshiping him previously that week. He was handed over to a Roman execution squad, and he was beaten beyond recognition. He had his hands and feet nailed to a cross, and he was hung in what was probably the middle of the town's garbage dump. He was lifted up as a spectacle for the lowest and most profane members of society, having the most horrific experience of his life serve as entertainment for all who passed by. And what was perhaps most costly to him at that moment was that from the first time in all eternity, when he called out on the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in eternity, the response was deafening silence. He set aside the relationship that has been his with his father for all eternity. He did this, taking on the punishment that you and that I owed for our sin so that we could be forgiven and set free from it. Jesus set aside every right and every privilege and every advantage that was owed to the Son of God Almighty. And he took on a form of suffering that no human will ever know. And he did it for you and for me. 
And what was the motivation that drove Jesus to do all, all of this, this great cost? What was the motivation? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is what God means when he says love. In his condescension and humiliation and suffering, we see displayed before us a love that defies our wildest comprehension. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying in John 13 to take this self-sacrificing love, this love that commits itself to someone else at incredible cost, take that love and give it to one another in the church. Do you remember Paul hinting on something very similar to the Philippian church in Philippians 2? This is what he says to them. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So both Jesus and now here Paul is saying, in the same way that you've been loved by Christ, now regard that, take that and give that to one another. And so I'll ask one more time, how should we love each other? with the same love that's been given to us in Jesus. The standard that we use to measure how we ought to regard one another is set by Jesus himself, who didn't love us as he would love himself, but he loved us at tremendous cost to himself. And the call in John 13 is to take the love that we've received from our Lord and to freely give it to others, specifically the others in this church. This church, as I said, has expressed this love already in so many ways. And I want to call on us this morning to continue in it. I want to call on us to lay down our rights for others. To consider others more significant than ourselves. To sacrifice for their benefit and lay down our lives for their good. I want to call us to hang in there. To commit to each other through good times and bad. And to not just walk away when things get difficult. Even though you might be right to do so. I want to call us on us to continue to love one another. As Christ has already loved us. And so we've considered what it is that Jesus has asked us to do. He's asked us to love one another. And we've asked the way in which we should do this. How should we do this in the same way that he's loved us. And the last thing that I want to consider this morning is what's on the line? What's at stake with this love that we've been called to give one another? Friends, we need to understand this. What's at stake is the reputation of Jesus himself. In this chapter, Jesus is spending his last moments with his disciples and he's about to depart, as we've already mentioned. But he doesn't leave them lost and aimless. He, he, he wants them to represent his character to a world that's never seen him. He says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. 
He's calling on his disciples here to leave a reputation for Jesus. And what's that reputation? It's a reputation of love. And so as we think about Jesus's reputation, it would probably be helpful to consider what it actually was to be a disciple in Jesus's day. Because by nature of being a disciple, you would carry with you the characteristics of your teacher. If you were a good disciple, your teacher's reputation would live on through you. In our day, if we want to learn something or focus on something, we take a class, go to college, some sort of degree program, and and that's what we do. We learn the information and move on. But in Jesus' day, if you wanted to learn something, you would attach yourself to a rabbi, and you would follow that rabbi around everywhere. So when Jesus wants to teach his core leaders something, he didn't just sit them down for a seminar, but he asked them to drop everything they were doing, lay down their lives, and follow him everywhere that he went. And in following the rabbi in this manner, you would not just pick up what they taught, but you would pick up their way of life as well. Whatever that person was known for, the disciples would duplicate it, and those characteristics would start to be seen in themselves. And so in that way, they would carry on the reputation of the one that they followed. And so as Jesus has spent all this time with his disciples and he prepares to leave, he tells them, love each other, Because that's what I want to be known by to a watching world. Love one another. Certainly there are a number of other characteristics that Jesus could have called his disciples to emulate. He could have said, all men will know that you're my disciples by the miracles you perform. All men will know you're my disciples by your hard stance against the Pharisees. All men will know that you're my disciples by the uh, Bible uh, knowledge that you have. But he doesn't say any of that. All people will know that you are my disciples if you love. If they're to be known for one thing, it's love. Because that's perhaps what stood out most about Jesus through all of his life. If they were to be known for one thing, that was it. That was what was most highlighted in his character. That was what was most distinctly known about him. And in his parting requests to his closest followers, he's telling them, create a reputation as Jesus' followers of love. Love one another. And by that, you'll show the world what I am really like. This Jesus who's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This Jesus who has a love that reaches through the skies that never ends. That's what stood out about him. And now the disciples are called to duplicate that with one another and set a reputation for him in the world. And so the question then falls on us as a church because we bear his name. We've been baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call ourselves Christians, Christ followers. So what is it? that we're going to be known for as a church. What are we going to be known for as a church? As we press forward into transition and challenges, what will ultimately be said about our body? Before a watching world who's wondering what God is really like, Jesus is telling us, Sojourn Church of Fairfax, demonstrate this Jesus who abounds in steadfast love. Demonstrate him to this city by the way that you love one another. A couple years ago, shortly after I came to Sojourn, I found myself in the Fairfax County uh, criminal hearing section of their courthouse. And usually I try to avoid uh, this uh, particular location, but today was a little bit different. 
And uh, it wasn't just me. There was maybe 10 or so other guys who were in our community group. And the reason that we were there that morning was because sometime earlier, there was someone who joined our community who had gotten in some fairly significant trouble. And he started coming to community group and um, hearing the good news of Christ and, and sharing the areas that he wanted to change in his life. And it was a really cool time to, to begin to see him walk through that stuff. Um, and he had this court date looming for some stuff that he had in his past. And we decided as a community, we weren't, we weren't going to let him walk through that alone. And so on that day, on that afternoon, uh, a bunch of us from, our, from the group got, took off work, went over to the Fairfax County Courthouse, and were there to support our friend on this really significant day. And, and I don't know how you envisioned this court scene. Like, it wasn't like on TV where you kind of have, uh, you know, the defendant up front and just a, a bunch of spectators kind of like in here in the back. It was actually a very empty room. And there was maybe like four or five other people who were waiting their hearing. And they were scattered through the room. And with them was maybe like their lawyer and maybe their mom who hadn't given up on them yet who was there. That was it. They were there by themselves with, with, uh, with those people. But as you looked to the back of the room, it was something of a spectacle because we took up two whole rows, all of us in this community who were there supporting our friend on this really significant moment in his life. And what I so much appreciate as I think back on that is that in a very small way, we were making a statement to the city of Fairfax that we as a church, we love one another. And it, on that day that as everyone else was there by themselves, this, this, this friend's family had joined with him in the back to stand with him on that really significant moment. And that's the type of reputation that Jesus is calling us to continue to live out and to display. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you join yourself to this community, we're the type of community that represents and reflects Jesus' love and you'll be cared for here. And so from bringing uh, meals to homeschool moms who just had a baby to visiting our friends in Fairfax County Prison uh, who, who have joined themselves here, wherever, they, wherever you're at on that spectrum, if you're a part of this community, um, we're called to love one another in that way. We've experienced the love of Jesus, and now he's calling us to represent uh, to the world the way, to represent him to the world in the way that we express that love to one another. And what's riding on this command is the reputation of Jesus himself to a watching world. Where this love will be perhaps most vividly displayed in our midst is not when things are going really well, but when we're actually working through hard times together. And we decide to commit to one another, even though it's difficult. So that's what's on the line here. The reputation of Jesus himself as we're called to love one another. Let me uh, wrap this up and just acknowledge a couple things in here. Um, I know that there's some of you here this morning, maybe this is your first Sunday, or maybe you've just been coming uh, for a little while, maybe a couple months, and I don't know, you maybe walked into an awkward situation, you don't know what's going on, and I, I respect that, that's fine if you feel that way, um, and th- if th- that's slightly uncom- uncomfortable for you. Um, but, but what I want to actually invite you to do is to continue coming and to jump in here. Because if you want to be a part of this community, you're not just going to be a face in the crowd, uh, someone who goes in and goes out. But, but if you commit yourself to this community, I, I don't know a lot about where we're headed as a church and some changes that are making. But one thing I do know, you will be loved in this church. You will be loved in this church if you join in with us. And so instead of backing out, I'd invite you to jump in with us and to continue to make a reputation for Jesus in a world who's longing to see what he's really like. So... If that's the spot you're in, I want to say that. And 
I would also acknowledge that there's some of you here this morning, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian at all. Um, in fact, you would say that, that you're quite far from God, and, and you've maybe thought in this conversation about God's love, if there is a God, he certainly doesn't love me. And many of us in this room have sat in the same seats and had that same consideration. But, but what I want you to know this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is that no matter what your past looks like or where you're at right now with doubts and struggles, he actually loves you more than you could ever even begin to comprehend. And he demonstrated that love for you because while you wanted nothing to do with him, he sent Jesus to die on your behalf. Because at this moment, you are on a hell-bound road. And if you do not come to Christ, that is where you will spend your eternity. But he loved you so much that he sent, God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die, bearing the punishment that you deserve. And he loves you more than you can imagine. And this morning, I want to invite you to receive that love that's been put on display for you. And the way that you would receive that love from God is by believing the fact that Jesus did die for you. And in his death, the punishment that was owing to your sin fell upon him. And I want to invite you to believe that this morning. And if you want to talk about that anymore, you have any questions about what I mean by that, please, please come and grab me after the service. I'd love to talk with you about it. I'd love to pray with you. But I want to invite you to receive this extraordinary love that we've been talking about all this morning. And in just a second, we're going to come forward and we're going to take communion. And if you're not a Christian, I actually want to encourage you to stay in your seats. Because when we come forward and we take this meal together, what we're saying is that we're banking our lives on the reality that Jesus did in fact die for us. And we're proclaiming that we believe that and that that's the center of our lives. And if that's not you, this is just some bread and some juice. So if you're not a Christian, I would invite you to stay in your seat. You don't have to be passive in this time. You can pray as we come forward. But if you are a Christian, we're going to come forward to the table together this morning. And when we come forward, we don't come forward as individuals. There's a reason we have one loaf of bread. We, we come together as a family, recognizing what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so just out of a statement of our unity and our love for our God who's given himself for us, I want to invite you to come forward and take this meal. We've got two tables in the back and we've got two tables in the front. And you can come forward at any point when you're ready. So let's do that, and let me close this with a word of prayer. Lord, you truly have given us a love that defies our uh, wildest comprehension. The fact that while we were sinners, you died for us. You gave yourself for us at that moment. I just pray this morning that you would remind your people whom you've given yourself for how much you love them, how much you care for them. Pray that we would be a community now that continues to receive your love and then take that love and pass it on to one another. Pass it on to people who don't deserve it at all. But that's irrelevant because that's how you've loved us. So Lord, would you work Christian love in our midst more and more? We thank you and we celebrate you as we take this meal together, that you've died for us, that you've given yourself for us. We rest in that reality this morning. Please preserve our church as we walk through these difficult times. Help us to um, honor you in everything that we do and let your name be glorified in this city and around the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.